let me interrupt your conversations. Did you hear me? That's a, but you, your conversations were, were going so well. Well, if, if you were having particularly helpful conversations, anyone got any reflections on how you're feeling about your prayer life at the moment? How are you feeling about prayer or the subject of prayer? What does it make you think of? What do you want to know more of? What are you hungry for? Any thoughts, comments as we begin? Okay. Okay, we find time to talk to God, but ne- not necessarily the peace to listen. Okay. Yeah. 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 Yeah, absolutely. There's a kind of ongoing conversation. Yeah. Yeah, 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 setting aside key times to, to pray. We're going to be looking at that a little bit as we see the G- Lord Jesus modeling that. Ernie, go on. Yeah, Matt, well, I'm reading that do not get drunk on wine, which leads to the water. But I'm not into the water, and drink. Well, I suppose that's the, the, the theme there is. Well, I, that, yeah. That's the passage on on the front, and it that's I think that, that Paul was writing into a setting. Um, uh, so so well, we can read that. Uh, it's not the main passage we're looking at today, but on the front of your sheets, um, uh, there's a quote from Ephesians chapter five, which says, "Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit." Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and, and that sort of is, a, is Paul speaking into a church gathering in Ephesus, uh, trying to encourage us, instead of being uh, filled with wine, which is one way of escaping from reality, instead be filled with reality, which is God himself, the Holy Spirit, come to dwell in us. And what effect does he have when we are filled with the Holy Spirit through Christ? Well, building each other up, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing and making music from your heart to the Lord. So that, we put that at the beginning of our, our um, running orders to encourage us as to what we're doing. Um, and it's helpful to see it in the context that sometimes we can fill ourselves with things other than God. Um, and that could be wine, it could be drugs, it could be career ambitions, it could be all kinds of things. Um, but um, there's always an alternative to being filled with the Spirit. And actually, that brings in the theme of what we're going to look at later in this passage. Um, so that's surprisingly helpful. Thank you, Ernie. Um, any other particular thoughts or things you're grappling with as we come to the subject of being shameless in prayer? Yes. Yeah, that's very helpful. That's very helpful. I was looking for the make me prayerful button this week as I knew I was preparing on this subject. <laughs> okay.
Thank you. That's, well, that's really helpful, and that definitely speaks into something we're going to be looking at in, in this passage and explicitly in the talk as well. So thank you so much. Okay, well, as we begin, I'm going to pray. Um, Olivia's going to uh, read the passage for us. And then if, if questions and comments come during the talk, please feel free to interrupt. Um, uh, if you feel like we've gone past something and we haven't dealt with something that is really bugging you, um, do feel to, to, to ask um, I'll say if we're going to cover it later, but um, feel free to interrupt. Let me pray, and then Olivia's going to read the passage. And uh, has everyone got a copy of the sheet? Um, the passage is printed there. You can scribble on it, and then there's some notes you can take on the other side. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that um, you modeled true humanity for us, and you taught us to pray And we pray that as we look at this uh, famous passage, that we would um, be shaped and changed uh, by your Holy Spirit to become more like you in the way we live and especially in the way we pray. In your name, amen. 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 Olivia. One day, Jesus was praying with them to pray. When he finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John told us told his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, Lend me, three, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on the journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer it. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me, the door is already locked, and my children are now in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though we will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless tenacity, he will surely get get up and give you as much as me. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of your fathers, if, you, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead. Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. If you then thought you are evil, now how to give gifts to your children? How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Thank you very much. That's great. We'll come on and look at the other bits um, later. Um, prayer. Prayer is um, it's very common, isn't it? It's hard to think of something actually that, 
unifies almost everyone. I, I think there's almost no one out there. It'd be interesting for, to go and chat to, maybe as a conversation starter, chat to atheist friends you know. Have they ever prayed? I think it's unlikely that you'll ever meet anyone who's never prayed, even if it's just in that moment of utter desperation, just hoping against hope that there's something out there. Prayer is very, very common. Um, it's a theme of all religions and uh, most worldviews. And yet also, prayer is very varied, isn't it? Um, there's so many different kinds of prayer, and there's different kinds of meditation, and there's different approaches, and so on. And so that leaves the big question in our minds, which was the question of the disciples, of how do we pray? Lord, teach us how to pray. And it's important for us as a church to keep thinking about um, our vision statement as a church is shamelessly pursuing fullness of life in Christ in Streatham. And under that overarching theme of pursuing fullness of life in the Lord Jesus Christ who came to give us life, we've got three subsections, shameless in worship there at the top, shameless in community and shameless in mission. And under shameless in worship, you'll see we've got what we've been doing today, enjoying God's presence as we gather as his redeemed people. Um, but then secondly, shameless in prayer. And thirdly, living radically different lives. And so um, we have a vision as a church to become shameless in prayer. And the thing about a vision is you're not there yet. You can see it on the horizon. You can see it in God's word. And yet we know in ourselves that we're not shameless in prayer. And it's not just a question for us as individuals. It's a question for us as a whole church. In this uh, passage, it's implicit in Matthew's gospel with the same um, uh, theme of the Lord's Prayer. It's explicit that it's our Father we pray to. We pray to our Father. We pray together. Um, and so um, we want to be shameless in prayer as a body, as a family, um, growing together in our relationship with God. And only then can we live out the radically different lives that God calls us to. So we want to be shameless in prayer. Well, you'll see on your sheets, um, a very few of you have um, the answers written in, but most of you have blanks. Um, and um, you can fill in the blanks if you want to. Um, and this is a summary of where we're going as we look at this passage. Um, prayer is talking to your father, seeking his priorities in shameless confidence. So it's one long sentence. Prayer is talking to your father, seeking his priorities in shameless confidence. That's where we're going as we look through this whole passage. Um, you can write in if you enjoy filling in the blanks as we go. Um, but we're going uh, to dive straight in with the first point uh, there on your sheets. Uh, you can fill in the blanks. Uh, prayer is talking to your father. Well, before we get uh, right into the detail, we just see that first opening line, which is so crucial for us to see. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And we see throughout the Gospels, Jesus devotes time, sets aside time, among all the busyness, all the crowds trying to get to him, he devotes time to pray. Jesus models perfect humanity for us. Jesus is the eternal Son of God who took humanity to himself. 
But when he lived out his humanity, he didn't sort of tap in occasionally to his divine nature. Then, then when we look at him as an example, we think, that's just not fair. Being told to be like Jesus, that's, that's just not fair. Because Jesus was like a superman. He could just tap into his divine nature. He could zap this, he could zap that. He never had any problem. He could do whatever he wanted. No, actually what we discover is that Jesus was a true human being. And he didn't cheat. He didn't tap into his divine nature here and there. We actually discover as we read through the Gospels that he performed his miracles by the power of the Holy Spirit. So he was a true human dependent on God. Now, of course, at the same time, he was the eternal Son of God, one person with two natures, divine and human. But as he lived out his earthly life, he lived out true humanity, and he models it for us in praying, praying to his heavenly Father, total dependence on his heavenly Father. And so when he calls us to pray, he's not telling us to do something that he didn't do himself. And he's not calling us to something that is good for us, but not for him. He's calling us to how to live out fullness of life that he modeled. Not an easy life. If you look at the life of Jesus, it was certainly not easy, never easy, but full and beautiful and good and right. And so when he finishes praying... His disciples go to him and they said to him, there in verse 1, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. That model of teaching, of making disciples, was, was not a new thing. And Jesus was teaching and training up others uh, to follow him. And we need to learn from him, the master, and then be ready to teach others and teach others and teach others. Well, then the Lord Jesus answers them, verse 2. He said to them, he said to them, when you pray, say. And we're going to pause there. When you pray, say. Well, there's two things in there, isn't it? When you pray, not if you pray. When you pray. Prayer is part of the normal Christian life. It's not for the superhuman Christians. It's not for the extra special ones. When you pray, every disciple is to pray. When you pray, and what is prayer? When you pray, say. Prayer is talking. Prayer is talking or speaking. And and actually, if you look at the sort of models of prayer that you get across the religions and even sort of in some uh, sects and and so on of Christianity, uh, sometimes that simple emphasis is taken away and and people talk about uh, listening prayer. Well, actually, uh, last week we looked at what it means to listen, and it was modelled for us by uh, Mary, who sat at Jesus' feet, listening to his words and taking them in. Uh, sitting at his feet, we learnt, meant uh, not just that she happened to be at his feet, but it was a phrase used for a serious student, um, like an apprentice or a trainee, uh, sitting at his feet, learning, training. And we need to uh, listen by listening to God's word. If you want to hear God speak, if you want to hear God speak, just open the Bible. The Bible claims amazing things for itself. And in Hebrews chapter 4, quoting uh, Psalm 95, uh, the author, the writer to the Hebrews says, as the Holy Spirit says. So if you're wondering whether you're hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit, just open your Bible and immediately you're hearing the voice of the of the Holy Spirit, not just in days gone by, but God's living word for you today. 
So when we pray, we're not listening to God. We're speaking to him. He speaks to us in his word. And then we speak to him in prayer. Now, of course, God can use and does use many other ways to speak to us, like visions or particular insights that he brings to mind. But if you want to grow in your relationship with God, and as we looked at last time, increase the chances of his Holy Spirit speaking to your life, then know his word, memorize his word, so that he will bring it to mind and use that to shape and change you. When you pray, say. And then comes something that for us is so normal. If we've grown up among Christians or in a Christian home or in a Christian society, this next word in verse 2 seems so normal, but it was utterly radical. When you pray, say, Father. Father. No one had told the people of God, to say, Father, until now. In Luke chapter 2, verse 49, the 12-year-old Jesus blows the minds of those who are looking for him and find him in the temple, and he talks about God being his Father. And that's new language. The idea that, that you could use that language for God was new language. Of course, we were all God's offspring in the sense of um, Adam and Eve, Um, being created in the image of God. But actually that father-child relationship was broken as Adam and Eve, like all of us since, turned away from God. And so the idea that we could come back into relationship with God as father, that was radical. And we need to realize just what an extraordinary privilege it is as those who follow Jesus, who know Jesus, can come to God as our father. You'll see I've put there on the sheet, John chapter 1, verse 12, Just to nail this home, not everyone can call God their father. Who can call God their father? Well, in the verse before, it says, Jesus came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, verse 12, on your sheets. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or husband's will, but born of God. God. How do you become a child of God? How can you call God your father? By receiving the Lord Jesus. You're not born a Christian. You're not born calling God father. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or husband's will. We are reborn as we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're reborn into a new and living relationship with God as our father. That was revolutionary. I've been, uh, I started reading a book um, called I Dared to Call Him Father by a Muslim lady who, um, who when she started reading the Bible and saw that people were able to call God Father, just couldn't believe it. She thought something must be wrong. And so she got Christians who she found in Pakistan to explain to her how this could possibly be so. And then very, very tentatively, she reached out to God put her trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, and she dared to call him Father. And and what a beautiful thing it is to realize that we can call God Father because it then shapes the whole relationship. It shapes the whole way that we pray. We're not praying to do a mantra. We're not praying five times a day to earn our way to God. We're not um, uh, proving that we're a Christian 
If you say your prayers daily, that doesn't make you any more a Christian than a mouse. It it doesn't make any difference if you think you can earn your way to God by praying. No, first of all, you need to recognize that you can do nothing. That you deserve nothing from God. Did anyone notice, we'll come back to this, but did anyone notice the one way Jesus describes us in this passage? You are, there's only one you are in this passage. Do you know what we are in this passage? Go on, spot it. Go on, where's that verse? Yeah, the last verse there on the sheet. There's a throwaway aside. Even then, though you are evil. That's our nature. That's what we bring to God. What can we bring to God to make him accept us? The fact that we're evil. That we're broken. That we're sinful. And yet God reaches down and adopts us in the Lord Jesus Christ who died for us to make us his children so that we can come into relationship with him. And so we're not proving anything to God in praying. No, what are we doing? We're living out a relationship that he's given us, the relationship of being children. Like little infants, totally dependent on God. Little Eliza there um, can't even burp without the help of her parents. And, And that should be our attitude. God, I can't even burp without your help. I can't breathe. I can't live. I can't exist without you. I need you, Father. Father. And actually, the role of earthly parents is to bring up their children to become independent of them, but as they grow up, to become more and more dependent on God, their Heavenly Father. So a sign of maturity, uh, human maturity, is that we become more and more independent of our parents. A sign of Christian maturity is that we become more and more dependent on God as our Heavenly Father. So every time you pray, that should be your instinct, actually. Jesus models it for us. Pray to the Father. We can pray to Jesus, and we can pray to the Holy Spirit. Um, But actually, the model for us in Scripture is to pray to the Father, through the Son, because he's the one who paid the penalty for our sin to bring us into right relationship with God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, who indwells us, enables us to have a relationship with God. So we pray to the Father through the Son, by the Holy Spirit. And so Christian prayer begins our Father, and it's very distinct from any other kind of prayer. So, prayer is talking to your Father. And hopefully that's a motivation in itself to reach out to Him, to pray continually to Him. We don't need to sort ourselves out before Him before we come to Him. No, we just cry out to Him like a little child. But secondly, prayer is talking to your Father, seeking his priorities. And that what, that's what Jesus does in this prayer as it continues. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Now, I don't know if you've noticed already that, oh, there's, there's different words here to, to what I'm used to in the Lord's Prayer. The, the Lord's Prayer that we, those who've grown up in Christian t- tradition, might be used to saying, uh, what else does it have? Uh, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Where are the missing words? It's actually very helpful to see that Jesus would have um, taught people how to pray on many different occasions. He would have, uh, like a number of preachers, have the same sermon that he'd use again and again, um, or the same uh, 
kinds of teaching, and so it can be recorded differently. But what it shows us is that he didn't just, when they said, Lord, teach us to pray, speak out a mantra. He wasn't just giving them a formula that you, you say this string of words and it's the magic prayer and God will accept you. No, he's giving priorities, shaping our thinking. And so it's really helpful to actually take the Lord's Prayer. And I've got it in my prayer mate, on, uh, which is an app on, uh, on my phone, um, which reminds me, and it, it comes up um, every few days as a thing to pray through as I come to God. Um, not as just read it through, but go through line by line and work out, okay, what kind of priorities does God want me to have in my prayers? Because he's the father, and he's the one who's going to shape my priorities. So what are they? What are those priorities? Hallowed be your name. Hallowed means uh, uh, may your name be seen as holy, as set apart, as wonderful, as glorious, as good. That's what we long for, isn't it? For more people to see the goodness, the holiness, the wonder, the amazement of God. There are so many people who think that a relationship with God is boring or tedious or not worth looking into. And that's tragic. And we go out there and we want to tell people, no, there's fullness of life available in Christ and and we try and do it in our own strength. But actually we need to come to God and say to him, but he wants us to pray to him, to ask him to make his name great. And he loves to do that. He loves to do that, not because he's arrogant, but because he obeys the Ten Commandments just as he calls us to. You shall have no other gods before me, God says. Well, God has no other gods before him. He is great. He is good. He is the source of life. He is the one to be hallowed. And so that should be our priority. Our first priority should be that God is seen to be wonderful. We should be like a a telescope looking to the stars and people look up and they think, oh, I can't really see anything up there because of the London sky and oh, it's just a tiny little thing. And then you get the telescope out and suddenly they realize that that speck they were looking at is actually a glorious galaxy of burning balls of blazing fire. And the telescope shows reality for what it really is. Then you want your life to be a telescope. Lord, make me a telescope to the glory of your name. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Lord, would your, your kingdom spread? Would more and more people trust in you and make Jesus their king? Give us each day our daily bread. That's reminding us again of our total dependence on God. For our every breath, for our every piece of bread, we, we need him. It's a good reason to give thanks before each meal because we're remembering that it's only because of him that we're sustained each day. But our every need, our every concern, God wants to hear them. Just as a parent loves to hear the every little whim and wish of their children. And then forgive us our sins. We don't come to God, as we've seen already, on the basis of what we've done for him or what we could do for him, but on what he has done for us. That in the Lord Jesus Christ, he has forgiven us and we come to him again and again in confession it's right to do that isn't it to confess our sins to to admit to him what we've done wrong and in some ways the way that we become a christian is the way that we keep going as a christian um i heard as a child uh or no not as a child as a teenager um that the way to come to jesus is as simple as abc and i remember thinking oh that's so patronizing by a teenager i'd got through the excitement of abc Um, but then it was really helpful and simple admit believe come admit 
believe come? If you ever want to explain the good news of Christianity to someone, you could start with that. Admit. You need to admit that before God you have nothing to offer. He is holy. He is perfect. He is good. You, you can't offer him your daily prayers. You can't offer him your baptism as a child. You can't offer him the fact that you've done good things. Because he is perfect, he is good. You need to own your sin and your failures and the fact that you're a mess up before him. Admit, forgive us our sins. Believe that he can forgive your sins because Jesus came down to live the life that you failed to live and die the death that you deserve to die. Believe that he gave himself for you to bring you into relationship with himself. And so then, see, come to him. Come to him as your Father, because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Forgive us our sins. And how do you know if, if that whole mindset of being a forgiven sinner shapes everything you do? Well, it's that you will go on, verse 4, to forgive everyone who sins against us. Forgiven people forgive. Forgiven people forgive. If there's any resentment, then as we come to God in prayer, shaped by his priorities, it's at this point we should stop and think, is there anyone I'm holding a grudge against? Is there anyone I rather wasn't around? Is there anyone that I'm finding particularly difficult? And can I forgive them and pray for them and long for them to know Christ? And then, of course, because we've been rescued from sin, well, we want to pray urgently, don't we? Lead us not into temptation. As soon as you put your trust in Christ, the one thing the devil's going to be trying to do is trip you up in some way. Stop you from praying. Stop you from being dependent on God. To lead you into different kinds of temptations of self-reliance or looking to other things to satisfy you. And yet, Jesus says, let your prayers be shaped like this and run away from sin. Remember that Jesus came to bring fullness of life. And so anything that is against his will... It's not going to make you feel better. It's not a nice tipple. It's not something that will satisfy you. But for those on Revive um, uh, last week, we had this very, very helpful illustration on Saturday evening, this picture of um, the preacher said he went to uh, a hardware store and he bought a mousetrap. And um, he said to uh, the shopkeeper, he said, where do I put the cheese? And the shopkeeper said, these days you don't need any cheese because all we've got there." It's just a little piece of yellow plastic, and that is enough for the mouse to come searching. And it thinks that's cheese, and it goes for it. And he said as he was clearing away the mess of that dead mouse, he realized what sin was for him. It promises so much. It looks so appetizing. It looks like it's good. It says it's better than God himself. And then it kills us. It leads us away. It damages us. It hurts us. Don't we want fullness of life? We have good news. Even in the very prayer that Jesus gives us to pray, we have good news. Lead us not into temptation. Let God shape your priorities and then your prayers are radically changed. And with hope and with joy, you can pray. Prayer is talking to your Father, seeking his priorities in shameless confidence in shameless confidence well here we come into a story jesus tells to help us to get into the mindset that he wants us to get into it's a striking story isn't it i don't know if you uh, were struck by it as olivia read it to us let me read it again 
Then Jesus said to them, verse 5 on your sheets, Then Jesus said to them, uh, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. Now picture the scene. Okay? You've, you've got a, a late-night visitor. You'd invited them, perhaps, and then you're caught short, and you don't have enough food for them. And it's really embarrassing. And so you go out to this friend in the middle of the night. Uh, hoping that they might have some bread so that you can show hospitality. And this is in a hospitality culture. You absolutely had to show hospitality. And if you couldn't do it yourself, you'd have to rely on someone else. And they'd kind of be obligated with that same idea that a, that a village worked together to show hospitality to visitors. And so you go out, but at this very inconvenient time of night. And you say, verse 6, A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. You've been found wanting. There you are, you're caught short, nothing to offer. You've got nothing to offer. You're desperate. You need to show hospitality, and yet you can't. Verse 7, and suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me, the door is already locked and my children are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. It's seriously inconvenient. He's really hammered it home. You could go back with your tail between your legs. You've stuffed it at this point, and you need to work out what you really need. Do I really need this? Or do I just go home? He's told me to go home. But you decide that the need is very strong. And so you're willing to be socially humiliated to the point of shameless audacity. Shameless audacity. At that point, verse 8, I tell you, Jesus said, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. And that is how Jesus tells us to talk to our Heavenly Father. Isn't that striking? He tells us to be shameless. Well, this is actually where, uh, when John and I, uh, John Stidwell and I, uh, three years back, were away praying about uh, the vision of the church. This word shameless just stuck with us. God wants us to be shamelessly audacious, that means bold to the point of embarrassment in our relationship with God. Because who are you to ask God for something? Who are you to come before God and, and, and treat him as if he's your father? You're nothing. You're, you're dirt. Look at your sin and your mess in your life. Who are you to do that? And yet, God calls you to Have that relationship with him like that. Do you see? Couldn't be clearer, verse 9. So I say to you, Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Why should someone see it as shameless for us to ask God? Why should someone on the outside be surprised by how we can approach him so shamelessly? We've already looked a little bit, haven't we, at verse 13. How does Jesus describe us? How does Jesus describe us in verse 13? Evil. Evil. If people knew what you were really like, if people knew your heart, if, if everything you'd ever thought, said, and done was displayed on this screen for anyone to see and watch, they would say, you're evil. They would say, I am evil. Those dark thoughts that you've had, 
the fact that the people you hurt the most are the people you love the most. And we can cover it over and we can hide it from one another and we can look socially better or worse. But before God, we can't hide anything. And we need to realize that prayer is not about what we've got to offer God. It's about our total dependence on him. And going to him is like going to someone else at a really inconvenient time when they have no reason kind of to, to give anything to us and just to keep banging at the door. And saying, please, I've got nothing to offer, but I need you. I need you. And we can ask for anything. We can ask for anything. But then that raises the question that came up at the beginning. I think, Kate, you raised it very helpfully. What if certain prayers aren't answered and things that really matter to us? And do we just, do we stop then? Do we think, well, maybe God doesn't want to answer these prayers, and yet this really matters and how, at that point, can I know God is good? I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be shameless in my prayers, as Jesus calls me to be. And yet, how can I have confidence that God is even good? And yet, Jesus says that we should be shameless in prayer, and we can have confidence. And we're going into this last section, verses 11 to 13. Why can we have confidence? Well, Jesus sort of turns it back on ourselves as we ask that question. And he says, which of you fathers, maybe if you're a dad here, you can answer this question, but I imagine even if you're not a dad, you can answer this question pretty simply. If your son asked for a fish, would give him a snake instead? Or if he asked for an egg, will give him a scorpion? I mean, it's horrific, isn't it? That idea that, that a father would would sort of entice his child who, who'd love some, uh, some fish, some delicious fish, to come towards him and at that pers- point give him a snake that could kill him and harm him. Or that the child is desperate and, and asking, uh, Daddy, Daddy, please can I, can I have an egg? Or please can I have a chocolate bar? Please, Daddy, can I have this good thing? And, and, and the father goes, yeah, yeah, come, come here, come here, come here. Here, I've got it wrapped up for you. Open it up. And the scorpion strikes. I mean, it's sick, isn't it? It's actually really sick. And actually, even the most twisted and awful father wouldn't do that to their child. Verse 13, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give? We'll come back to exactly what he says. But of course... How can we doubt the goodness of God? He's our Father. He's our Father. And when we ask him for good things, will he give us something bad instead? Will he make life worse for us? Will he ruin it? Do you see verse uh, Romans uh, chapter 8, verse 32, there on your sheets, at the bottom of your sheets? Paul writes about God the Father, he who did not spare his own Son, the Lord Jesus the perfect son of God, in perfect relationship with God for all eternity, bleeding and dying on a cross to take the penalty for our sin. And the father lets him for our sake to bring us in relationship with himself. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? All things. Whatever you need, God will give you. He will never give you something that will harm you. But do you notice what Jesus doesn't say? 
Do you notice what Jesus doesn't say? He doesn't say, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, would not give him a fish? Or which of you fathers, if your son asks for an egg, would not give him an egg? Or which of you fathers, if his son asked for a chocolate bar, would not give him a chocolate bar? Or which of you fathers, if his son asked for a helicopter, as I did to my parents when I was little, would not give him a helicopter? My godfather gave me a model helicopter that was designed for 16-year-olds plus, and I was eight, and I sliced my finger open. Of course, human parents know that there are a huge number of things our children ask us for that we don't give them. But is it to harm them or to hurt them? No, it's because if they live on chocolate, then they'll die quite quickly. And so we give them more than they ask for. Someone put it very helpfully that if we had all the information before us as to what was good for us, we would ask for it and God would give it to us. That makes sense. If you, if you could look ahead in your life and see what needed to be done to make and shape you more like Jesus, then you would ask for the thing that God wants to give you. And so it is in, in Matthew chapter 6, this similar passage comes up. And Jesus says, we should ask, your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. Because God knows so much more. God's like a surgeon in the knife, it, it, with a knife. I mean, if you sort of zoomed in without all the sort of context of the operating theatre on a surgeon with a knife. You might think this was some sadistic, evil person who just enjoyed cutting people up. But then you zoom out and you see the operating theatre and all the people there trying to care for this individual and you see the cancer that's there threatening the life of the individual and the surgeon's knife comes in and cuts and there's pain and there's blood and there's huge time of recovery and you realise this man is good. And God is like a surgeon with a knife who understands every circumstance of our lives. And so we come to him and we say, please can I have a fish? And he says, I've got something so much better for you. And I'm so in control of the environment around you that this is going to hurt for a long time, but you're going to come through it. And then you get amazing testimonies, like many of us here, or like Ro, your video, you know, just sharing how the dark days of three suicide attempts. How can that be good? How can that be a good father? Do you realize that God used that like a surgeon with a knife to remake his child more in the image of his son and to prepare him to look forward to a glorious future, shamelessly pursuing fullness of life in Christ? Is there anything holding you back from fullness of life in Christ? Well, God in his good fatherliness will use all kinds of circumstances. Some which you think, I can only see how this is a good thing, Lord. You need to give this to me. And he'll use even that to hold it back from you, to shape you, to make you more like Jesus. Do you see what Jesus says? Whereas in Matthew chapter 6, it says, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to his children? Well, here Jesus specifies what is the ultimate good gift. He will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Isn't that what we want? More of God himself, more deeper relationship with God. And we see the the disciples modeling that for us in the book of Acts. Those who were filled with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost then go on praying to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that they would be bold 
in sharing the good news of the Lord Jesus, in living wholeheartedly for him. If you don't have that sense of shameless confidence about the goodness and the kindness and the wonder of the Lord Jesus, that you just want to talk to anyone about it, and the only thing that's holding you back is just working out kind of what the best time and the best way to bring that into conversation so you don't just totally freak them out with your over-enthusiasm. If, if you don't have that sense that you just want to be shamelessly audacious in just sharing the goodness of Jesus with your friends and your family and the people you meet on the street, then God's going to do a work in your heart to show you that Jesus is so much better than you think he is. And so as you ask him for that bit of fish, and as you ask him for that uh, bread or, uh, what is it, he says, Uh, egg, or that chocolate, or that helicopter, or that career success, or that relationship, or um, the healing of a loved one, as you ask him for those things that are really, really good, he's going to give you something better. He's going to give you his Holy Spirit, who's going to fill your heart and make you fall more and more in love with Jesus so that you realize that he really is good, that he really is the good shepherd who laid down his life for you and to give you fullness of life. There are times in my life when, repeatedly, week by week, when I wonder if God is good and I ask for things and I don't get them and yet then God uses those circumstances to make me realize actually he's more wonderful and more beautiful and doing something more deep than I even imagined. There's so much more that could be said. And yet, isn't Jesus good in giving us this prayer to show us that we can talk to our Father, shaped by his priorities, in shameless confidence, and he will always give us what we ask for or better. There's an amazing man called George Muller who lived in the 19th century who ended up over his lifetime setting up um, a few orphanages uh, for, I think, tens if not twenties of thousands, uh, up to 100,000 children went through um, uh, those orphanages, all funded by generous gifts from outside with not a penny being asked for. And he was an amazing prayer because he realized he had nothing to offer God. And he said this wonderful thing. He said, I always know that when I pray to God, He will either give me what I have asked for or something better. And so when I don't get what I've asked for, I praise God that he has something better in mind. Wouldn't it be wonderful to be able to do that, to ask God for things and realize that when we don't see those specific things, God must have something even better in mind. And the harder it is, the harder it is perhaps to see that. But as God opens our eyes to see the wonder of what he's doing, then we get to see how good he is. We're going to pause there. I'm going to pray. Um, it'd be good to have any reflections, thoughts, questions. Um, and then if there's time, uh, musicians will pray. Let me, let, uh, let me pray. Father, thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that... He came to give us fullness of life. He shaped our prayers in this way. And so we pray that our priorities would be that your name would be hallowed, that your kingdom would come, that we depend on you each and every day for everything we need, that we know that our relationship with you is based on forgiveness, that we can forgive others and bring the gospel to them, and that we'd run away from temptation because we know that it's only poison that will harm us, and you are good. 
Jesus' precious name. Amen. Time for questions, comments, how we can apply this, live this out as a church. Matt. I normally read this section of prayer as seek and not in Matthew 7. Yeah. One of my favourites, Matthew 7. <laughs> can we can we yeah cut that out of the recording yeah <laughs> Literally so, not. Uh, yeah. When when we read it later, ask uh, and knock and the door be opened is yeah. very very relevant to what you just said. Yeah. The idea of knocking. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful to have that, that imagery for us so that as we pray, we can s- sort of see ourselves like that guy knocking on the door with nothing to offer, but ready to receive. Yeah, that's very helpful. Ben. You almost didn't see the point of of resisting, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, but now I actually feel yeah. like don't like um, like Matt uh, recommended some reading, and um, I, I sort of saw like it's like you've got to act not just in your tongue, you know what I mean, but in your actions yeah. in James. Yeah. You know what I mean? and, and, and you've got to do both things. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, it, and it's not just about um, preaching the word. You've got to, you know you've got to actually do the action. Yeah. You know, and yeah. um, <coughs> we've been very 
winning him over? Do you know what I mean? Winning Matt over or God? No, God. <laughs> I think he's starting to, uh, you know, to listen to me a little bit. Because I didn't feel, feel like I was worthy of his attention. Okay. Well, you're no more worthy now than you were then. No more worthy now. But what you're seeing is... Yeah. 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 But what you're seeing now is, is in community, that thing of, as we forgive those who sin against us, that as a community of forgiven people come around you and model Christ-like love and say, we haven't written you off. We don't. And why don't we? Because God hasn't written you off. And, and then you see that actually it's not just that you're earning your way to God, you're perfect in Christ and you can, yeah, you can I, come I, to him. I, I, I just feel that um, like, um, you know, when I'm with my church family, I just yeah. feel more... Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. It's a community it's thing, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so that's being shameless in prayer... I'm getting more confident yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's hugely encouraging, isn't it? And, and, and that's why we must do it together. As I said at the beginning, that in, in, um, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, Our Father. We must do this together. And this Tuesday is our, is our prayer meeting. And as we gather together, we can model to each other how to pray, and we can learn and grow, and sometimes even pick each other up on, you know. Um, Andy will tell you, is he here? Um, that he and I often have a chat because Andy's instinct is to say, dear Lord Jesus. There's nothing wrong with saying, dear Lord Jesus. But actually, Jesus tells us to pray, our Father. Yeah. And so, you know, of course, always feel, you know, come to Jesus, say, dear Lord Jesus. People did, and that's right. Um, but actually, Jesus models for us how to pray so we can pick each other up on that. Yeah, and we grow together in, in prayer. Any other thoughts or comments before we close the thing? Can't you? Um, Sort of picking up your opening question, which was even before you started, yeah. what are the struggles with prayer? Yeah. I think my observation here is an interesting sort of paradox, a contradiction. Yeah. That you started by saying it, prayer is universal, yeah. one way or another. Yeah. And yet, actually, it's not natural because we have to be taught. Yeah. So, verse uh, one, teach us to pray. Yeah. Um, so, it's a sort of strange paradox that you would have thought it was natural, you wouldn't need yeah. to be taught. Yeah. Uh, and yet the teaching is twofold as well. It's by example, Jesus was praying, and then he also explained what he was doing. Yeah. Yeah. So, so maybe that's why, not be, that's not why it is difficult, but it is difficult, therefore yeah. let's not yeah. give up. Yes, we need to be taught. We need to go on being taught. I need to be taught. I was taught so much in preparing for this and in giving it. So thank you. Anna, you want to say something? So, go on. Go on. Well, you say, John. Because Ben has said um, he's now beginning to resist sin. Yeah. What does the Holy Spirit do? He helps us resist sin. Yeah. So Ben's, Ben's observation and answer answers that question. 
Yes, and, uh, in one of many ways, actually. So the striking thing is, if you look at the same passage in Matthew 6, he says, um, uh, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? And yet here Jesus takes the words good gifts and puts in the Holy Spirit. So what's the ultimate gift that God could give us? It's himself in his Holy Spirit and a deeper relationship with himself. So in terms of the, the roles that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit play, um, the Father um, is our Father who sends the Son to uh, redeem us and so that he can adopt us as his children. Um, and Father and Son send the Holy Spirit, who is the relational aspect of God. We could have no relationship with God other than by the Holy Spirit because um, Father and Son are exalted in heaven. Um, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are exalted in heaven. But the Holy Spirit comes and he indwells us. He gives us a relationship with God so that we can pray, so that we can understand his word. So what's the most precious gift that God could give us? It's a deeper relationship with himself. And so as we pray, it may be that the Father's answer is no you know, uh, fish or egg or chocolate isn't the thing for you right now. But I'm so glad you came to me and asked me. And it's as if he puts his arms around us and holds us to himself and gives us a deeper relationship with himself. So that even in the no, there's a greater experience of God. Hopefully that's helpful. No, first three and four. I always when I'm reading, I always say four should come above three. Yeah. Do you know why? Have you got any understanding why it's kind of spaces the order? No. But we can we can discuss that in, in no I don't I don't have a, I mean in some ways you think you should start with forgiveness of sins yeah. that brings us into relationship with God as our Father, I think because already the relationship is there, but even though the relationship is there, we want that relationship to be based on forgiveness. Whereas I think if Jesus started with forgive us our sins right at the top, we'd somehow think we need to become a Christian every week or every time we sinned, you know, kind of, I've screwed up now, I'm no longer a Christian, I need to go to confession, sort myself out, and then God will accept me and I can start again. Whereas actually, once we're adopted, once we're rescued, once we're in Christ, then even if we've literally just sinned, we're just as equipped at that point to share the goodness of Christ with someone else. And if you have that, if, you, if you've been through a really low patch, if your relationship with God is feeling distant, if you've just committed a, a dreadful sin and someone in the office or wherever you are comes up and says, so what is the meaning of life? Like, well, okay, well, I can't do this. You know, it's not me now. I'm not a good Christian. I'm going to sort myself out and then I'll come back and answer that question. But actually, no, the father relationship with God is there from the moment we put our trust in Christ. It's always based on a relationship of forgiveness and repentance. But we don't need to go to confession like the Catholics would have us believe in order to sort of get back in and then start again. Does that help? Great. I'm going to stop there. I'm going to stop there. Um, We were going to sing. But uh, I think what would be great is actually if we turn to each other, chat about it, think through what are the particular areas in which you want the Lord to encourage you in prayer, what mindset shifts do you want um, God to be giving you?